Day from the Sharp Index. I was sitting down today with Heather Lavoie and wanted to talk to her specifically because she is a leader in healthcare technology. Many physicians and healthcare workers don't love their technology. So I wanted to ask her what her experience has been. Also, they've done some really significant research about physician well-being and how to improve that. So Heather, maybe you could introduce yourself to everybody. She's awesome, by the way. Um, if you haven't met her, you should. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to work with you, Janae. So I'm Heather Lavoie. I'm president and CEO of Jania. I've been with the organization since we founded it in uh, 2012, and um, and we're a healthcare analytics and uh, data science organization, and we're really focused on uh, improving health outcomes and um, as well as cost and quality in healthcare. We uh, work with hospital systems, we work with physician practices, as well as health plan and employer organizations um, to drive health outcomes, and we have a a uh, you know, strong team of data scientists who build um, predictive models to help um, anticipate um, disease progression, disease onset costs so that we can maybe intervene earlier and, um, and more readily. And, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, we, we have a particular um, focus on uh, physician satisfaction or the degree to which physicians feel miserable um, in their profession. So we've been, um, you know, surveying uh, physicians um, since early on in the organization. Yeah. And um, okay, so there are a lot of things I would want to talk to you about with that. Um, I guess the first is maybe we could talk about the physician misery index and, and measuring that and your experiences, what they've been. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I started out in physician practice operations and, and it was really right around the time when managed care was coming into play and, and at, at the time where we were starting to pay a little bit more for quality outcomes and not just uh, on a fee for service basis. And, and I, in, you know, and I worked with a number of physicians who were pretty happy in their profession at the time. And I saw, you know, just year over year over year, sort of an erosion in satisfaction. Um, and, and I think an increasing burden that physicians were expressing out sort of outside of the professional setting, but even physicians I knew on a personal level, just the, the burden that they were feeling uh, in terms of documentation, sort of the reduction in time that they were able to spend with patients and, and just really, I think, being a bit disillusioned with, um, with what uh, physician practice was as compared to what they thought it was going to be when they went in. And so in 2015, um, we set out to do a national survey of physicians to help understand sort of the extent to which um, they were dissatisfied or miserable in their profession. And then what were some of the drivers of that dissatisfaction? And, um, and then we repeated the survey again in, in 2018 to see if things had improved and actually um, it got worse um, over that time frame as opposed to improving. And, um, and, and you know, we saw like eight out of 10 um, physicians felt like their, the quality of time that they had with patients had decreased. Um, more than three quarters of them knew someone um, that was likely to quit medicine in the next five years, nearly three quarters were personally considering 
a career change and uh, and at the time and this was pre-covid yeah. yeah about 57 percent of them um expressed that they were personally at risk for burnout and and what was really striking and it definitely resonated it was something that you know, we knew that we were feeling um was um, a almost a hundred percent, about ninety-seven um, percent of them felt like they um, that they they needed more time with patients. Um, that that was really uh, critical. That they didn't have patients were sicker, and that they didn't have enough time to talk about um, uh, the challenges that that patients were facing, and that if they actually had the time they could they could drive better health outcomes they also could prevent a lot of emergency room visits they could prevent unnecessary hospitalizations and yet they just felt like they were on the hamster wheel and that they were just doing they were glorified data entry clerks that we were asking people instead of working to the top of their license to sort of work to the bottom of their license and doing a lot of just documentation that didn't drive a lot of additional value yeah they do a ton of documentation for every visit um I've talked to a lot of physicians too, since the pandemic started, there have been a lot more people reaching out for mental health support or for different problems that they've had within their practice, just not really knowing how to manage that. Um, one of the things you said that was interesting was talking about like the cost of technology and that, and that time. And what have people, I mean, you probably have a different perspective how technology can help with that, but also a better understanding of the actual time burden that we're placing on physicians. I think about it, even a lot of people can think about it from a patient's perspective. You go to the doctor, you get, maybe you have a chronic condition and you get medication. As soon as you leave, it's like you don't exist anymore. And what does that do for your health? Like, do you actually follow through on it? Or do you go home, lose your prescription and then go about your life? Um, and I think you have a great perspective from the other side. Like, what does that do? What does that mean for healthcare? And what does that mean for physicians? Well, they certainly spend, you know, at least as as has been reported in surveys, even beyond ours, um, several hours every night, you know, two to three hours a night on um, post care documentation because they don't have enough time. So charting, um, they don't have enough time to get to it during the day. And so it's bleeding into their family time into the evening hours. Um, after their kids go to bed, if they if they have families and um, and and, and they really should be able to get to it during the day. And I think we're, you know, the challenge is, is, despite the fact that electronic health records have been around for a while, we really are still on a first generation of electronic health records, right? They're, they were designed for a specific purpose, but not necessarily designed um, well for um, workflow. And um, in or, as well as um, designed well to ensure that other members of the care team maybe could handle some of the documentation on behalf of physicians. And I've said this many times, but I, I started out doing transcription. And, and for some reason, um, you know, we did away with transcriptionists and we require physicians to type their own notes because it was, um, it, we felt that it saved 
um, time and money. And, and ironically, um, you know, all, when, if a physician could dictate their notes, all of that um, translation could be done um, outside, of, outside of the visit by someone else. Certainly, I made a lot less at 17 years of age, a lot less than a physician made. Um, and, and so it seemed like we were being, you know, penny wise and pound foolish. And, and so we're requiring doctors to type all of their own notes, to do all of their own coding, make sure they're getting the coding correctly. And uh, so we, you know, when we've designed our systems at, at Genia, we've designed them in such a way to um, provide tools and resources for other members of the care team. So the physician should be the quarterback. The physician doesn't need to be every player. Um, and so if there's um, coding, um, you know, missing codes or suspect codes that we can surface up to another care team member, they could take care of those. Um, if there's gaps in care, um, we can provide that out again to a, a medical assistant or, or nurse. We can provide a lot of information so that pre-visit planning can be handled before someone even comes into the visit. Documentation can be provided even before someone comes into the visit. And so we can maximize the amount of time a physician has with a patient and reduce the amount of sort of post-care, post-visit charting work that has to be done. And we can't do it all, um, but we've certainly had an eye on making sure that we preserve that physician-patient connection to the greatest extent possible. Right. Um, I've seen a lot of, a lot of people have commented on how one of the most valuable things that technology can do or technology that physicians identify as the most valuable is the technology that makes itself invisible. Whether that be something that, you know, provides better information about which patients need to be seen or ambient listening solutions where you don't have to take notes. People don't want to interact with their computers. They want to interact with patients. And I think that's so important, especially in the healing art. You need to interact with people. Humanity and that connection can't be replicated. And technology um, has kind of stood in the way of that. And some of it's cost prohibitive. So we, we spoke a little earlier about that and what it means for rural health. And I really liked what you said that rural health, that's the backbone of our society and that's so important. I don't think everybody who knows about healthcare technology really can grasp like the cost of switching systems or, or any of that, you know, why their data doesn't go back and forth. So I thought maybe you could comment on that. Sure. Yeah, interoperability is a significant challenge and it's not a technological challenge. It's a political and a business challenge. And you know, there's there's competing business interests at play that have prevented the exchange of, of data. HIPAA transaction sets have been around since late 90s. Um, and, uh, and so we, you know, we've defined uh, the format and the methods by which to transmit data and, and, and yet we still can't. And I mentioned, um, you know, to you um, before this meeting, we, you know, I was talking to an analyst and the analyst had to see a satellite hospital and asked why her electronic records couldn't, um, weren't shared across, um, you know, primary hospital and the satellite hospital that were in the same 
same network, same, you know, same organization. And it was because the, um, the effort had to be stalled because it was going to cost $45 million. And it shouldn't cost $45 million for a community hospital to be connected with, um, you know, a major tertiary center, particularly if they're, they're in the same organization. That is a significant barrier. And so you can only imagine how difficult it is for community and rural hospitals that may have less, you know, fewer than 100 beds, small population size. Um, they just don't have um, access to many technologies. They can't afford it. And, um, and, and that puts patient lives at risk. And, um, and so, you know, we worked specifically with community and rural hospitals to create kind of a shared services solution um, with core health resources who serves that um, you know those those uh, rural hospitals just because we know um, you know they are the safety net and and it shouldn't have to be so expensive um, and I'm hoping I'm very hopeful um, with Mickey Tripathi um, you know serving now at the federal level I mean there's a keen recognition um, of the need for interoperability and I hope hope there's going to be a focus on breaking down some of those barriers um, because the only people that are losing out are patients um, by not being able to, to transmit their data. And, and it yeah. should be a patient right um, to have access to uh, their medical record and have that portable. Um, you know, Spain has had interoperability for a long time and uh, there's, there's no reason in the United States that we shouldn't have it and that business, you know, competing business interests are preventing it. Yeah. I actually, I, I love interoperability. I think it's so important. I also think it's not just the patient that loses out. It's also like society. We have real barriers. I know in some areas, you know, when you're dealing with um, addiction problems and patients, people who are trying to get medication, it's hard to have that communication and that trust when you don't have transparency. Um, and that goes both ways, like whether it be someone who isn't able to get the support they need or, or someone who's trying to take advantage of a system that doesn't communicate back and forth. And interoperability, it's interesting because I've also seen data breaches that are pretty substantial <laughs> with, um, with moving patient data back and forth. Um, and so I, I really like I mean, I think it's so important and, and I'm glad that aren't they releasing the new rules soon? Like with the, how people are going to handle that. So it'll be great to see how, how that improves. I, we talk a lot about like competing business interests and technology. Um, I know a lot of the people at like big HR companies who want to improve healthcare and want to improve physician lives what do you see as like the potential or the next step? Like, would it be building generation two? Would it be these regulations and funding that enables data transfer or something else? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, to expect that every AHR can be everything um, is is too much to expect. I mean, there's there's a reason um, why there's specialty apps. Um, you know, you you brought up sort of ambient listening, right? Sekera is a great example of an organization that can handle ambient listening and translate, um, you know, sort of physician dialogue into notes automatically. Right. To I expect think that it, now they got acquired. Yeah. Well, yeah. Good job, Nuance. <laughs> <laughs> 
But in, you know, to expect that an EHR is going to do that, they're going to be able to handle, um, you know, multimodal communication and run outbound education campaigns. And it, it's just too much. They, you know, there is a specific need for an EHR. And then there's a need for other wrapper systems to enhance that EHR. And, and I think that that's a reasonable expectation. Um, and to, to put all your eggs in one basket and expect that the, you know, the EHR companies, and you may only have one or two that could ever pull it off, and it may take far too long to be able to do it, and they may not be able to innovate fast enough. Um, in a way that maybe sort of specialty or niche companies could do. So I think that, um, you know, so I think that there's promise in, you know, a number of, of specialty organizations um, that can serve different, different purposes. I think there's great promise in, um, you know, from our perspective, right, we're, we have data science teams that are working on, you know, predicting a whole range of chronic conditions and exacerbation of disease. And so if we can get that in the hands of people so that we can prevent, um, uh, you know, uh, diabetic complications, if we can prevent um, hypertension complications, if we can prevent admissions or readmissions, um, that's, that's incredibly useful. If we can also um, provide information that shows maybe what's a right medium for an individual and that we have telemedicine that now sticks as an opportunity or we have um, a, you know, in person at different locations or we have remote monitoring. That's, you know, it's a wonderful complement of, um, of different vehicles. And, you know, Atrium is obviously such a leader in so many ways, but um, they, you know, they've, they've made it clear. I mean, they're addressing all the ways of interacting, whether it's telemedicine, whether it's remote monitoring, whether it's, you know, in an acute care setting, whether it's in a post-acute setting and an ambulatory setting. I mean, they're making sure that they're meeting people where they are and they're using robust data to, um, I think, identify the needs of the population, the social determinants of the population and helping to provide care teams that are addressing addressing it holistically. And so I think, I think we're at a tipping point now of really being able to, you know, take in all that contextual information and care for people in a way that we hadn't been able to before. And I do think that there's payment systems that are aligning. It's just that, you know, at the same time we get hit by COVID and, and so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're one foot in emergency mode, right? And, and with, a, with a physician and care team, overall care team, all care professionals are, 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 are burned out, they're struggling, they're exhausted, they're taxed. Um, and I think that will maybe slow down um, some of our ability to move on to sort of the next iteration of healthcare that's coming. But I, but I do see it coming. I feel very hopeful. And, um, and, and I'm just constantly amazed by the resiliency of the healthcare professionals, but I don't think we should be relying on their continued resiliency. I do think that we've, we really need to address um, the challenges that they've been facing, the underlying um, sort of toxic stress that they've been experiencing if we're going to help move into the future. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea. Like people say a lot of times like, oh, you're strong, but really if someone has to be strong, that means they're working in a system that is not functioning in the most ideal way. Um, recently, also I had a conversation with someone about like what they would do to help. We talk a lot about, you know, we need to, to help people. We need to make sure physicians have that quality time with patients. But 
I want to ask you, like, this is a personal question, you know, you personally, like, if you could do like tomorrow, like snap your fingers and one thing was fixed, or you could help in one way, help physicians, what would you do? And the last person I asked, they were like, well, I would help with childcare. And, and she was like, she's a leader. She's awesome in business period. And, um, she has kids, but you know, that's something that she saw as like what she would like to help with. What are, what is something that obviously Jania does a lot, like they help reduce, um, the cost of care. They're helping get people the insights they need without expensive technology. But you personally, like, what would you do? What do you think if you could solve one problem or if you could work on one project, what would it be? Oh, if I, if I could do anything, I, I, I didn't would... wonder about this question, guys, this is the yeah. surprise question. It's like my favorite question. Yeah. I would expand the amount of time that physicians have um, with patients, which means it means reducing the, you know, many physicians, even if they're salaried, they are tied to an RVU calculation. And, and so it means reducing the number of RVUs that they have to um, generate uh, on a particular day, week, month, year as part of their contract. Um, it means letting up on that and, um, and looking differently at, you know, for, for, you know, for folks that own physician practices, um, looking differently at revenue sources, thinking about diversifying those revenue sources so that you're maximizing your quality bonus programs, you're maximizing the money you can generate from care coordination activities, you're, you're, you can make up for those gaps. And, um, and, but I think sometimes it's just easier to keep the physicians on the hamster wheel. So if I could, it would make so many um, clinical team members happy. It would make so many patients happier. I can't even imagine how much better coordination would occur. You know, when you go in and a physician is able to take time with you, how different that experience is and how many more problems are solved and, um, and, and how much less confusion there is coming out. And so if I could do anything, I'd change the amount of time and which would be reducing then the RVUs that are expected from any given physician. I love that. Like, so RVUs is um, for people relative who... value units. Yeah. So it's 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 based on the coding and the amount of time they spend and the complexity and yeah. Um, so. Yeah. yeah I, people have talked about that a lot. Like, are you giving someone a super complex visit? I also notice um, my kid's pediatrician always spends enough time with them, and um, and I sought out a physician that I knew did that, and obviously his. I think he works long hours. I think he just works all the time to be able to give that great care. So if it was scheduled that they would be able to do that and then be real people, which I'm sure he is, you know, um, it would be incredible. Um, do you have any last thoughts? So this is what uh, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's great. Like your perspective about like measuring how things have been going and like the hopefulness is really important about how technology has the opportunity to build great things, but also, um, yeah, like to me, it's super inspiring. Thanks. Well, I appreciate all the work that 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 you do, um, the work that you do with with health IT companies. Um, certainly, the all the work that you've done on physician suicide, which is uh, you know critical. But the scholarships that you're getting in the hands of 
um, you know, new medical students and, um, and now even the work that you're doing to provide for money for residents so that they can get childcare that they need. I'm just inspired, um, inspired by your work. And it's and crazy that they don't have a system for this. Like someone was sharing online. They're like, how is it that during COVID when we we're frontline workers, like no one cares. Um, and I think people, it's easy to look the other way when it's not something that you're directly responsible for. And I'm glad that there are people who decide not only to not look the other way, but are proactively seeking out ways that they can help. Because um, that gives a lot of hope for humanity in general, that like things, things are okay, like we're gonna do okay. And hopefully the burden won't all be carried by nurses and, and physicians and technology companies are caring about that and stepping up as well. So thank you today for- Thank you. And talking to me. If anyone wants to know more, Heather is online. I'll include links to her information and to Jania. They have the Physician Misery Index, which I think is such a clever name too. Just measuring like, are you happy in your job? And what does that mean for physicians? And I think it's an important thing also for patients to see how, how physicians are doing and, and what that means for them. And I really liked your comments too. Maybe we can add some more insights about alternative income streams for healthcare to enable physicians and others to be able to spend more time with patients and give better care. So thank you again. Thank I'm going to the recording. <laughs>